Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to The Sidebar, presented by True Crime Daily, taking you inside the courtrooms of high-profile and notorious cases from across the country. I'm your host, Joshua Ritter. I'm a criminal defense lawyer based in Los Angeles and previously an L.A. County prosecutor for nearly a decade. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at JoshuaRitterESQ or at JoshuaRitter.com. We are recording this on Friday, September 29th, 2023. A lot to go over this week. Um, first, we are going to Green Bay, where a woman is sentenced following her conviction for the meth-fueled rape, murder, and dismemberment of her former lover. Also, two Las Vegas teens are now facing adult murder charges after allegedly intentionally running over a bicyclist while posting the entire incident on social media. Finally, we have a verdict alert where Gareth Pursehouse has been found guilty for the murder of his former girlfriend, a famous Hollywood sex therapist, in a case where the prosecution alleged she was thrown from a third floor balcony. But first, in breaking news, something that we just learned about moments ago as we sat down to record this podcast, an arrest has finally been made in the drive-by shooting of Tupac Shakur 27 years after the rapper was gunned down on the Las Vegas Strip. And so we are delighted today to be joined by Anjanette Levy, a Emmy-nominated reporter, legal correspondent, and host on the Law and Crime Network. I'm really excited to uh, get into this Tupac situation with you because I know you've been following it closely. I know you've been reporting on it. Let me just catch everyone up as to what we know about this. Um, in a shocking development, investigators have announced an arrest in the 1996 drive-by shooting that killed Tupac Shakur. Just this morning, authorities arrested Dwayne Keefe D. Davis. While the circumstances surrounding the arrest have yet uh, been made public, details are expected to be made clear surrounding Davis's indictment later today. The arrest comes nearly two months after police raided a Henderson, Nevada home in connection with the shooting. The search reportedly yielded multiple electronic devices, along with magazines covering Tupac and the shooting, as well as 40 caliber bullets. Davis, who uh, previously wrote a memoir, I love this, has um, admitted to being in the vehicle where the fatal shots were fired that killed Tupac, but claims only to be a living witness to the shooting. And Jeanette, just jump right in. I, uh, mm -hmm. What is your reaction to this? Were you surprised or is this something you saw coming from a mile away? I, I saw it coming from a mile away and I'll tell you why. Um, I started looking into this in July. I, I watched a documentary produced by Mike Dorsey, a very nice guy out in LA. And it was all about Tupac's murder and the murder of Biggie Smalls. And he worked with a, a retired Los Angeles police detective named Greg Kading on this case. And Greg Kading basically started investigating this um, 
years ago because Biggie Smalls' family filed a civil suit against the LAPD saying that a cop was involved in the death of Biggie Smalls and they wanted millions and millions of dollars because of this. And this was a theory that was floating around. Well, Greg Kading takes the case on and he assembles a, a team to look into it. And he was basically tasked with finding out who really killed Biggie Smalls. Through that investigation, information um, came to him through uh, sources and later through a proffer from this guy, Dwayne Davis, whose gang name or street name is Keefe D, that um, this guy, Orlando Anderson, who was Keefe D's nephew, shot and killed uh, Tupac Shakur after they had been in an argument, a, a scuffle uh, at the um, MGM Grand following a Mike Tyson fight. And it was over this beef about a stolen piece of jewelry or something like that. And so Keefe D in his proffer, uh, which means a proffer is something you, that can't be used to prosecute you. Um, but he told Greg Kading and the recordings of this proffer were used in the documentary. He told him the whole story. He said, I gave Orlando the gun and we pulled up and he said, I know. Um, he said, I know you know, Suge Knight, who was driving in the car, driving the car that was carrying Tupac. I know him from back in Compton. And he said, Suge Knight looked right at me and was like, oh, no, like, but used worse language than that. And then Orlando from the back seat fired at Tupac and um, shot him several times. Tupac was dead and was in the hospital for a few days and later passed away when his mom took him off of life support. Uh, and what's interesting about this is that um, there was a cop that I interviewed, a former Las Vegas Metro Police Department cop who uh, said he was the first officer to get there on the scene. And he said Suge Knight's bleeding from the head and he Tupac Shakur he opens the door and Tupac Shakur is like di like literally dying and getting out of the car. And he he said he held Tupac in his arms and he said, um, who did this to you? And he said Tupac was kind of like gasping and was said something like. Um, F you or something like that. So he was sticking to the street co code to the very end. So wow. Greg Kading learned from Keefe D that Keefe D said, I gave him the gun, you know, it, it shouldn't have happened, but I gave him the gun and Orlando shot him. Orlando Anderson got killed like a, a year later. Um, and then they could never use that statement to prosecute Keefe D for his involvement in the murder. Well, then in the last several years, Keefe D starts granting interviews all over the place and he wrote a book about it. And it says in his book, I have the book, he says, I, I threw the gun in the back seat. Um, so he admits to being there. So I think they're going to prosecute him based on other evidence and uh, the statements he's made outside of the proffer. And also they did a search warrant at his house not too long ago. And I don't know, you know, there was some stuff recovered, maybe some bullets. We don't know if they're the same bullets. It could be, it could be not. But, you know, the, he's been under the microscope for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny. Um, uh, uh, Greg Kading, the, the uh, detective that you referenced, I was mm -hmm. reading a report and in an uh, interview with the Associated Press, he said, uh, people have been yearning for him to be arrested, talking about Keefe D, for a long time. 
It's never been unsolved in our minds. It's been unprosecuted. And I thought yes. that was so interesting. This isn't yes. one of those cases where they are still trying to find a suspect. It sounds like for some period of time, everybody in law enforcement knew who they were looking at. It's just, did they have enough to prosecute this? Because there is a difference. There's a difference between mm -hmm. suspicion and even having evidence of somebody's involvement and whether or not you're gonna, you feel that's gonna hold up in court. So you're right. It, it's no shock to you. It sounds like it sounds like it's no shock shock to Kading. Certainly, no. My, he he knew he knew it was going to happen, and so did Mike Dorsey. Like I guess Las Vegas Metro Police had gone to Mike Dorsey's house and sat down with him uh, because he's been pushing for this, and yeah. I think Greg Kading's been pushing for it too. And the thing that and, and we're still dealing with very little information because they're going to have an indictment later today and I imagine sure. there will be a press conference to follow but the part that's most confusing to me is all of the things that you're referencing of where they were able to tie him to this murder has existed in their hands for years I mean we're talking some of this evidence they've had for decades what changed and you say well they just executed the search warrant and I'm like okay so they got some they got some digital devices. They got some mm -hmm. bullets and things. I just can't imagine that what was in there, and I, I guess we're going to find out, but it's like what exists that could possibly turn the tide after 27 years that they found in that home? You know what I'm saying? Well, I think they seized electronic devices. And so Keefe D wrote this autobiography and basically... You know, they write this autobiography. He writes this autobiography, I think, with another person. So there's going to be information on there. Yeah. Um, you know, and who knows what was say said in correspondence and things like that. My suspicion is that perhaps a new prosecutor got involved. Somebody took another look, said, listen, we've got enough here. Go execute this warrant. If you come back with anything that's even close to corroborating what we're doing, then we're going to go ahead and file on them. Like, I, mm -hmm. I can't imagine that the smoking gun, quote unquote, was found in that home and changed their minds. I think it's just it, they found nothing that eliminated their suspicion. And maybe you're right. Maybe some notes from his memoir that further confirm their suspicions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that might be it. Um, I think it's a stretch to say that the bullets were, you know, similar or the same. Maybe right. they were. I mean, that would be insane. It's a long time to hang um, on to bullets. <laughs> yeah, it really is. But stranger things have happened. I think we just yeah. have to wait and see what they say, what they say the evidence is. I think the evidence is what came right out of his own mouth. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that certainly after this long a period of time, enough people have looked it over. It's They're probably very confident in this case. So mm -hmm. we, it's exciting stuff. We will see what happens. Uh, like we said, uh, developments later today. So we'll keep an eye on that. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. In other breaking news, in Los Angeles, a jury has found Gareth Pursehouse guilty of the 2020 murder of Hollywood sex and family therapist Amy Harwick. 
Harwick, the one-time fiance of actor and uh, Price of Price's Right host Drew Carey, was found on the patio of her Hollywood Hills home after suffering from manual strangulation and a 20-foot drop from her third-floor balcony. She later died in the hospital. Pursehouse, who previously dated Harwick nearly a decade before and was the recipient of multiple protective orders issued by the doctor, allegedly rekindled his obsession for with Harwick after encountering her by chance at an industry event a month before her death. The defense never denied that Pursehouse broke into Harwick's home the night of her death. However, they alleged the heartbroken man only wanted to talk with her and that Harwick's death was a tragic result of her attempting to escape him. They further alleged that a syringe found at the scene containing a lethal dose of nicotine was intended for use by Pursehouse as a means of committing suicide. After seven hours of deliberation, the jury delivered their verdict convicting Pursehouse of first-degree murder with a special circumstance of lying in wait and first-degree burglary. Sentencing for Pursehouse is scheduled for December 6th, and he faces the potential of life with no possibility of parole. Uh, again, I know this is another case that you were following closely. W were you surprised by this verdict? Did you see it coming? Do you feel the prosecution had uh, done a good enough job on this? Uh, you know... This case, um, yes, I mean, I, I, I think it's so disturbing. I don't yeah. think that, um, you know, this whole defense of like, oh, well, he <laughs> she was running away from him and she ran. She fell to her own death. I mean, how do you explain her being strangled? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think you point out something that gets missed a lot. The disturbingness of it, that this is a person who dated her briefly. Yes. 10 years prior and he's still this obsessed over her that he broke into her home i know none of that is like an element of the crime but the jurors are thinking about that they're like this person has got major problems if they're going to break into somebody's home 10 years after breaking up with them to have mm -hmm. a chat with them and i just think that the the arguments of the defense sounded shallow after that when when you realize how dangerous and scary a situation that is yeah, it's incredibly scary. And, you know, she had protective orders out on him and things like that. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, I, I think that this is something that people maybe don't take as seriously as they should. And protective orders are only as good as the pieces of paper that they're written on. And I think you know that as a DA. I know that as somebody who covers these crimes. And she obviously was fearful of him. So it, yeah. it's just a disturbing case. It's horrible. I mean, she he became obsessed with her, re-obsessed with her. It, it's awful. Yeah. And and again, I like that you highlight the fact that the frustration that people who are the victims of this type of crime, not not murder I'm referencing, but stalking, it's very difficult for them sometimes. They spend years dealing with this because a lot of these people know to go right up to the edge of breaking the law, but not... Perhaps they get some sort of restraining order against them. But like you said, it's worth the paper that it's written on. Um, and what do you do? You know, per, a person's calling me. A person won't leave me alone. A person keeps on showing up and uninvited to my place of work. And here she was dealing with it for 10 years, maybe thought it had all gone away. And then, you know, he obviously had never forgotten about her and his obsession for her. It's really, really sad. What do you make, just last question on this, and I'm, I'm mm -hmm. curious to, to see 
if this you may have felt was a turning point with the, the jury, this this deal with the syringe, it was so bizarre to me. A syringe full of nicotine, a lethal dose of nicotine was found as well. Mm-hmm. Not your typical kind of murder device. No, but, but obviously it could very ominous. Ab- absolutely. Do you think that was a, a thing that the jurors really concentrated on too? That the, you know you brought the tools of murder, even if it's not something we typically think of. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I I think that you're, you're seeing like why would anybody have this? Nobody carries around a an a vial or a syringe full of nicotine and a lethal dose. So you went there for a reason. So you went there with a purpose and maybe the nicotine part didn't work out, but your other plan, the manual strangulation and possibly throwing, tossing her over the balcony. That's the part that worked out. Yeah. This was something that I don't know if they talked about during the trial too, but I wonder if the jurors thought about it. I wonder if the thinking behind nicotine was that it might not be something they would be testing for in a toxicology report. They're not exactly looking for. But I think they do. I think if you do a toxicology screen, you know, you're looking for anything that could possibly cause death, right? Yeah. And I guess that level, if it's enough to kill you, would pop up on a report. It's just, again, it, it if, of all the things that you would think about bringing to to the scene of where somebody's going to commit a murder of a, a syringe of nicotine just makes it all that more bizarre mm-hmm. yeah it certainly does and that's that i mean if you're gonna kill somebody with something nicotine is not what i would think of using but obviously there there is such a such thing as a lethal dose so yeah. he must have had access to that and thought this could be a way i i do this yeah. i mean something probably went wrong uh, something in his I, mind, yeah. something went I, awry. And when I say went wrong, I mean, obviously something went very wrong. And I, this poor woman uh, should still be with us. But I, I'm assuming that maybe he meant to use the syringe full of nicotine. And then maybe she fought, fought him off, tried to fight yeah. him off. And he did what he did. He str- he strangled her and threw her over the balcony. No, I think you're definitely right. I don't. I don't think his plan... If his plan was to murder her, and it sounds like mm-hmm. it was, was to strangle her and throw her off the edge. I think he was waiting there with, like you said, that syringe, and things went sideways as far as his horrible plan was concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, a really chilling story. Um, at least uh, some justice was served on that. So he'll be sentenced soon. Very scary situation. In another chilling, scary situation, we turn to Green Bay, Wisconsin, where Taylor Shabiznis has been sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for the brutal murder and dismemberment of her former sexual pat- partner, Shad Therion. Shabiznis was seen wearing a spit hood in court, presumably to prevent any further incidents during the proceedings, which have been filled with outbursts from the defendant, including a previous attack on her own defense counsel. We have some uh, footage of her uh, antics, if you want to call it that, here in court that we can show to you now. really disturbing stuff how violent she can become 
Uh, throughout the trial, Shabiznis' mental state was highlighted by her defense. However, her plea of not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect was roundly rejected by the jury, who convicted Shabiznis in less than an hour. Attorneys for Shabiznis argued against the maximum penalty, reasoning that the defendant was still young enough to turn her life around if given the opportunity. However, a judge was wary of the potential threat that she posed uh, to the public at large, adding, this crime offends human decency, it offends human dignity, it offends the human community. Mm -hmm. uh, anything about this surprising to you, Anjanette, that with this type of a crime that we would see somebody where a judge would sentence them to life without parole? No, <laughs> not at all. I mean, the case is just so disturbing. And what she did is so beyond the pale. I think she's obviously mentally ill, probably used way too many drugs in her time. Um, but she she was sitting there smiling and smirking throughout the trial. And I'm thinking to myself, what you did to this guy, you talked about how you were having sex with him and then you strangle him with a dog collar. And, and then you do, you kind of defile him after he's dead and then you, you dismember him. And I mean, there's just blood all over the place. And I don't understand how anybody could think, and I know her defense attorney is doing his job. Poor guy, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. who wants this case? Um, but he took the case and he did his best, I think, to defend her. I mean, she admitted to this. Like, she is a danger to the public. She needs to be put away for the rest of her life. She She's a dangerous, dangerous person. Yeah. And and it highlights, too, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, She's got problems. I don't I don't think anyone disagrees that she's yeah, got she some has, serious mental issues. She has problems I think that cannot be cured. Correct. But from a legal perspective, that doesn't mean that she's excused from her crimes for her Correct. insanity right. because she knew what she did. Right. She just for whatever reason perhaps her mental illness plays a role in that, but sometimes people are just evil people. And she did this thing, but she knew what she was doing was wrong. She knew she was committing a murder, and therefore she's still legally responsible. And that's the part I think a lot of people kind of get hung up on because, as as you highlighted, this is this is just at, you know if if I were to describe what I think a, a crazy person or an insane person would act like, mm -hmm. uh, this is it, right? I, I, including yeah. her conduct since then, but for the purposes of the law and for the for and thank god for all of our safety uh that's not the way the law views it and so she was sentenced to life without parole um crazy case very i want to see her brain like i want us i want somebody who's an expert in damaged brains to like i, I need a scan of her brain like somebody who actually knows what they're doing to tell me yeah. what is wrong with her and obviously whatever they're doing with her in custody as far as treatment isn't working I mean, to the yeah. point that she shows up for her sentencing with a spit mask on because Correct. she cannot be controlled still. There's something right. incredibly wrong with her. So, um, and and unfortunately, no one was able to diagnose that or treat her mm -hmm. for that before she took this, this man's life. And our final disturbing case, we move to Las Vegas, Nevada, where teens Jesus Ayala and Jasmine Keys have been charged with murder related to the hit-and-run death of former Bell, County, uh, Bell, Bell California Police Chief Andreas Propes. Mm -hmm. The incident was captured on video 
allegedly recorded by the teens in which the 64-year-old retired officer is seen riding his bicycle before he's struck from behind by a vehicle. Mm-hmm. We have that video footage. We're going to show it to you now. I will say it's incredibly disturbing, um, but here's a look. Ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The part that is most um, shocking to me is how they view the whole thing as fun and games. I mean, they're, right. they are laughing. Um, they're, they're, they're a completely it's like that innocent Iowa case. person. Yeah. <laughs> Remember the Iowa case we covered with the kids that beat the Spanish teacher to death? Oh, yeah. 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 And it's almost similar to that in some respects because this is not funny. You, you no. hit somebody on a bicycle and killed them i mean yeah. how would how would this be viewed as funny now obviously the spanish teacher thing is in some respects much worse because they beat her to death with a baseball bat but yeah. it's just another thing where i see you see kids teenagers behaving very very badly and without, i don't know what's without going on any kind of conscience to be that no. young and seemed seeming to have zero conscience or or or, or remorse or feeling for other people yeah. yeah, and I don't know if it's an impulsivity thing. I don't know if they regretted it later only because they got in trouble, but it's it's very disturbing. And I don't see how, I, I don't know if social media is helping contribute to this where you see these stupid videos on TikTok yeah. or Snapchat or Facebook, I don't know, kids. I, I'm always told Facebook's for old people these days. So. <laughs> um, but I'm thinking it's TikTok and Snapchat and God knows whatever else, Instagram. But it's like, come on. I mean, really? And ironically enough, the video that they took, which went viral online, is what led to the identification of Ayala, who's now 18, and Keys, who's 16, um, who, who committed this while they were allegedly in a stolen vehicle. According to police, Ayala bragged about the incident, telling officers that a hit and run would only get him, quote, a slap on the wrist adding he would be out in 30 days. Mm. They are both being charged as adults. Um, Ayala, interestingly, has opted for a speedy preliminary hearing. My my biggest thing is, I don't know how there's any argument that gets beyond that video. I don't, you know, just trying to kind of present how both sides might approach this. That video gets played in court, and to me, there is nothing that the defense can say to to somehow justify, explain, or rationalize that to a jury. What do you no, think? No, there's nothing they can do. I mean, the, the guys are in the video. They hit this poor person from behind. I mean, had no chance to defend himself. And I'm like, what, what on earth? Like, I mean, what could you say? The only thing they're going to be able to argue is that they are young and stupid and they made a grave mistake. Even if they thought it was all fun and games when they did this, uh, they'll, they'll try to argue, I think, um, that, you know, their, their brains aren't fully developed in the front, which is true. Um, you know, and men, they say guys mature, you know, more slowly. Some men, they say are not, you know, fully mature in their prefrontal cortex until um, they're like 25, you know, the part of the brain that controls impulse and stuff like that. So I, I think that's really their only defense. I mean, what other defense could there be that you you can only argue that? And even that is not going to get you much. I mean, they, they killed a former police chief. Yeah. They're both going to prison for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, you're right. I think that is the defense they make. Um, I don't find it to be all that convincing, like you said, but I don't think they really have any other alternatives. But mm -hmm. I think that, as you pointed out, especially with it caught on video and us being able to hear how they're talking to each other beforehand, this wasn't like something that they were able to piece together through, you know, paint chips or something mm -hmm. on the vehicle and they're able to tie it to them and they can now argue that it was an accident. Mm -hmm. They gunned this man down in that vehicle. And Correct, yes. Any amount of, oh, we're just kids, oh, we were, you know, peer pressure and whatnot is just going to seem so insulting, I think, to a jury. And then, like you point out, not only is he a retired police officer, but he's just a guy going for a bike ride in the middle of the day, mm -hmm. do bothering no one, doing nothing wrong, driving legally on the side of the road, you know, just going out for, he's a retired man going out for a nice bike ride and he has his life cut short like this. It's just sickening. Yeah, it's disgusting. And it's something all of us should be able to do um, is take our bike out for a ride without fear that we're going to be run down by somebody. Um, I, I know it's probably because I work in news and I've seen too much, but I won't even ride my bike on the street anymore. I mean, it's pathetic. I, I would love to be able to just do what people do and ride their bikes on the street, but I always go to a trail. I, I remember covering a case when I worked in Green Bay where this you know couple was riding their bikes in the bike lane, just minding their own business, and some drunk woman driving more than three times the legal limit smashes into them from behind the man is thrown over a bridge into the river he died his wife was gravely injured um you know it's just it's awful and it's yeah. just i mean i i always tell people and i if people should be able to go out for their out by themselves and ride a bike in yeah. the street but i always well, tell people oh my god get on the trail just stay on the trails because it's just not safe I mean, yeah. and this this is just so bad. And it makes you wonder, what else have these kids done that they thought was just so funny? Yeah. Uh, what have they done in the past? Is there more there? And yeah. they may find out if they download their phones. And they probably are. And it's and you, you, you tie it together well with this idea that when we see crimes where we can easily identify with the victim in the sense that it's like that's something i do every day there was a horrible case mm -hmm. out of memphis where a woman was just jogging early in the morning and and was uh, uh kidnapped later found murdered um and that caught so much national attention it's mm -hmm. awful but i think really the reason why it resonated with so many people is that what 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 more of an innocent non-threatening thing can you do but go out for an early morning jog when you think it's just going right. to be abandoned streets and as peaceful as can be and even then you're going to be a target it's just when you bring it home to people that clearly jurors are going to be thinking about this and I, I agree with you i don't think that these young men are getting out for a very long time well and they and, and they may plead be offered a plea to plead to something you know some, I mean, they're, I don't know, the, the prosecution, unless there are flaws in the case, which I don't know what those would be, I'm assuming the prosecution is going to push for the maximum sentence for both of these guys. And then even if one takes a deal and turns on the other, I mean, what kind of deal are you gonna, going to give them? Right. Unless the victim's family wants some sort of lenient, leniency, but right. I, I, I don't imagine that's going to happen. 
Yeah, I mean, the only thing I could see is that they are so young that there is at least some argument to be made that even if they do receive a tremendous amount of time, they might actually see getting out of prison. Um, or maybe they could be rehabilitated. Yeah, but when you start making comments like, this is just going to be a slap on the wrist and I'll be out in 30 days, you're not going to get a lot of sympathy with the prosecution. No, or a jury. <laughs> Correct. Anjanette, thank you so much for coming on this week. Where can people find out more about you? Um, well, thank you for having me, Josh. People can find out more about me on my Twitter page. That's Twitter slash, well, I guess it's X now, right? I keep forgetting right. that. <laughs> I never call it X. X.com slash Anjanette 5. Uh, I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash Anjanette Levy. And then I'm also on Instagram at Anjanette. Fantastic. And thank you again. I'm your host, Josh Ritter. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter or X at Joshua Ritter ESQ or at joshuaritter.com. You can find our sidebar episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And we want to hear from you. If you've got questions or comments you'd like us to address, tweet us your questions with the hashtag TCD sidebar. And thank you for joining us at the True Crime Daily Sidebar. <laughs>